Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to the Property Insights podcast by Select Property Group. Today I'm joined by one of our own directors based in our South Manchester office, Giles Bezik, who has been with Select Property Group since the day we started in 2004. Thank you so much for joining me today, Giles. No problem. Thank you for having me on, Amber. So being here for that long, you must have seen a lot of change within the property investment market. Well, for sure. Yeah, over that period of time, it's it's a completely different business. In fact, it's probably a, a different business every year in each of those years since 2004. What I would say, though, is that in some ways, a lot of the fundamentals of property haven't changed during that time, which probably explains why people keep coming back to property as an investment class that they're comfortable in, in investing in. Absolutely. So today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. Today, we're going to cover the common objections that our property consultants come across when speaking to people who are looking to invest perhaps for the first time, or maybe investors who are relatively new to investing outside of London. So Giles is going to address the six most common objections or myths that our property consultants come up against, helping to educate people to make the most successful property investments with the strongest returns. So Giles, to start us off, the first point that we're going to discuss, some first time or sort of less seasoned investors often see these these cities such as Manchester, Birmingham, and they see how built up they are becoming. And a question that our property consultants often get is, are these prime city centres now oversupplied with residential property? Is there still a market and is there still demand? Well, I mean, you, you're not going to be expecting me to say that, that that the market is oversupplied, right? Because we we clearly don't think that. Absolutely. I, I think the you're right. There is a lot of development going on in in all of our great cities in in the UK at the moment. Um, but I think that's always been the case, and I think it's important to realise that it's not a question of build it and they will come. It, it's all about that supply and demand equation. Without the the pent up demand. There, there wouldn't be the level of development that's that's going on. And I think people who invest in residential property should understand that, that property development is is a risky business as well, right? You know, developers have a huge amount of capital invested and, and there's a lot of risk in development. So they wouldn't be making that risk or buying the land or contracting for the scale and cost of developments that they are doing unless they were pretty confident that the demand was there to be met. I think another thing I would add is when you see the level of investment and development that's going on in Mayfield in Manchester, which is our, our closest metropolitan area here in the Northwest, I think it's important to realise that a lot of that development isn't just residential property, it's it's development in infrastructure. If you look at what's going on around Piccadilly Station area, um, there's a lot of development to to create the new high-speed link that will link all of the northern cities. Together, there's a lot of development in grade one office, which is there's a demand for new employment in, in the high growth employment sectors. And, and all of those people coming into those jobs will be looking for high quality accommodation to live in as well. And, and also um, theatres and concert venues and, and sports arenas, big new development in, in Manchester, the factory development, which will be the home for the Manchester International Festival. So, so investment in, in sort of the cultural life of the city and the infrastructure and transport links that will enable it to thrive for that next generation of, of residents as well. 
So actually what you're saying is in these built up areas in cities like Manchester and Birmingham, where some investors might perceive the scale of construction taking place as a sign of oversaturation, actually often this construction consists of, you know, car parks, transport links, festival sites, universities, and all of these things actually make these cities a better place to live and therefore drive tenant demand even higher. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and of course, you know, that there, it's still important to understand the, the makeup of a city and, and understand how the, the tier one and tier two and tertiary locations sort of fit together. There, there are winners and losers when you get development of a city on a scale that has happened in, in Manchester, in the greater Manchester area. And, you know, that's why we'd always encourage investors to do their homework and understand what the top flight locations are and understand where, where that strength of demand is best, because because they're probably going to be the places that you want to be be looking at. But I think what what I would add, Amber, is is that we during the last eighteen months we we completed and opened two major new residential developments in Manchester, and this is during a period when people have perhaps been reading in the news that everybody's been working from home, people no longer want to be in city centres, they want to move out to suburban areas where they've got more space and gardens and what have you but both of those developments are now full and that's during a period when it's been impossible to even allow people into your buildings to show them properties for some of that period so what that tells me is that the strength of that demand for people to be in city center environments hasn't gone away um it's still very much there and 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 that's why investors should should be thinking that that we're a long way away from from uh, satisfying that supply and demand imbalance. Of course, and and I know you touched on working from home, but for most companies, they're embracing a sort of mix of home and office working, which does maintain that need to still be of a commutable distance to the office, and of course, that need to be quite central in these locations. Okay, so moving on, let's talk about off-plan investments. To many investors who have never invested off-plan before, they see it as a risk to invest in a property often years before it's been built. Could you talk to us a bit about the risks and the advantages of investing off-plan? Yeah, well, of course, there is some risk when you buy a property uh, or make a commitment to buy a property that hasn't yet been constructed. But as with many things in life, there's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of risk as long as it's a well-informed decision and a level of risk that you're comfortable with. And and risk exists on on an axis with reward at the other end. And you have to make your own assessment of, of whether the risks are, are worth the or whether the rewards are, are worth taking the risks. And for sure, it's, it's perhaps not for the faint hearted. I, I have actually, during my time um, at Select Property, I, I have talked people out of buying <laughs> off-plan property <laughs> against my better judgment occasionally if if i didn't feel that they were ready to to take that risk but as long as you you do your homework you're you're buying from developers that that have a proven track record yeah. for for delivering properties that have gone on to be successful uh when when selling off plan and of course you you appoint a solicitor to to advise you properly and and all the things that we would encourage all of our investor community to do when when making that off plan commitment then then i would say the that the risks are or the rewards are well worth the risk. And, and for those that, that that aren't willing to take that construction risk, and that's fine as well. But but you know, I you would have to expect to then pay a premium to invest in a city 
where there are opportunities like the ones that, that we're typically developing and, and selling in because you'll be buying your property from somebody who did take that investment um, uh, during the construction period and, and has benefited from, from making that early commitment to, to the project. So I think, I think the only time I've, I've ever seen uh, people who make that investment off plan get into trouble or, or those investments go wrong is, is when they probably should never have done so in the first place, you know, where, where it was really on the edge of their affordability limits or, or they literally had no margin for error for some of the changes that can happen, changes in their lives, changes in, in the sort of the macroeconomic uh, situation that all property development takes place in. And, and when that happens, people can put, put too much pressure on themselves and then force themselves into a situation that is very difficult to get out of. So, so yeah, don't do that. It would be my <laughs> advice. But, but generally speaking, you know, it, it, it's a proven approach to, to if you understand the fundamentals that drive the market, you have the capital available, you have some flexibility in your plans to be able to account for some of the things that you don't yet know. Then there's absolutely no reason why why uh, the the off plan investment world isn't something that you should look at and, and the rewards clearly are very strong which is why why people do it and and you're you're going to turbocharge your your returns if if you're willing to to take a little bit of risk and make that commitment absolutely so the sort of the benefit of investing off plan is that instant equity in the property by the time that it's been built over that construction period just for those who who might not have invested in property previously. So you're saying that the things to look out for in sort of investing off plan would be credible developers with a strong portfolio of successful, successfully delivered properties. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the reason that people buy buy from Select Property Group is they look at what we've done. Uh, they look at the quality of, of the buildings that we've completed. They look at the occupancy level, um, they look at the, the way they're managed, you know, the fact that the buildings are professionally managed and they, they generally look as good uh, two, three, five years after they've opened as they did the day they opened. You know, there's clear, clearly a high level of, of management going on um, and they see that we've done that repeatedly in each successive year of the business. We've completed, opened, launched, let and occupied those buildings. So there's a, there's a track record there that that establishes uh, a level of capability that, that people feel comfortable investing in. And, and not just us, there are other developers as well that have that track record. But, um, you know, we, we, uh, we would perhaps uh, deter people from, from investing for the first time off plan in a developer that, that maybe is making its first foray in, into to development and doesn't have that track record and, and maybe doesn't have the expertise or the capability or, or the capital to to be able to to get through some of the challenges that they may face. You know, you're 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 escalating the level of risk if you, if you make those kinds of decisions, um, perhaps unnecessarily. Sure, and it's also worth mentioning that credible developers should be able to give investors an idea of the projected capital growth over the bill period, and also an idea of their rental income to expect. So moving on to the next common objection, which is perhaps more common among less experienced property investors, people ask why the build to rent sector is performing so well. Why not invest in the traditional buy to let properties that might be cheaper and may promise to deliver the same returns? So typically these would be terraced houses um, in the student world, student houses of multiple occupancy, 
and they're often in the more suburban areas as opposed to these prime city centre locations. So why build to rent? Yeah, well, you're right. There are those properties in the market and, and generally people will find bargains, purchase prices for, for properties that, that seemingly are you know, similar in size or offer similar accommodation and, and even in similar areas. But, but I would encourage prospective buyers to, to ask why that is and to really, it goes back to understanding the composition of the total market in the cities that, that we're generally selling in and try and understand what, what the drivers of, of price are. And I think that comes back to the things that we always talk about at, at Select Property, which is when you buy off plan, you're, you're, you're buying a new property, you're buying a, a property that's been designed with the requirements of existing and future tenants in mind. They generally have much better quality facilities larger amenity area, purpose designed and built for exactly the kinds of tenants who, who underpin that demand. And then with a professional management and operation of those buildings, which maintains the, the quality of the investment for the long term, whereas properties that, that perhaps look more affordable on face value are potentially going to be older. They may have been adapted from different types of property that, that were originally designed and built for a different market. So you may well have maintenance costs and issues with those properties that, that are going to erode your returns over time. And, and tenants' priorities have changed a lot. You know, cities are, are living, breathing things. And, and what people are looking for from city centre accommodation is, is constantly evolving. So again, that, that points towards investing in property that, that is new and, and has been designed ba based on an, an understanding and expectation of, of what tenants want for the next 5, 10, 20 years, because that, that's going to make your investment more, more resilient over that period. And look, some of the people in our investment community, they buy those properties as well. You know, they, they, they maybe have multiple properties if they're, they're fortunate enough to, to have the capital to do that. And you know, they may speculate on some of those other properties that, that look like better bargains, but equally they will come to us and, and buy from us because they see the quality of what we complete and deliver and, and the quality of, of how they're operated. And, and they see those properties as perhaps they're, they're sort of blue chip investments as part of a portfolio with, with other properties that, that, you know, might make good returns for a period of time, but, but then maybe they'll move on when, when, the market changes or, or when they need further investment. Sure. And just, I know you touched on management there um, in maintaining a, a strong property investment, but that works on both sides, doesn't it? That's beneficial both for the investor to have that sort of hands-off, hassle-free approach, but also for the tenant. That management side and the service, the concierge, the security is what encourages retention and a, a positive tenant experience, isn't it? Well, that's right, Amber. And, that, and that's why we always say the, the beauty of buying from a company who goes on to manage the properties that they've developed themselves is, is that generally speaking, what's good for the tenant is, is good for the investor. And yeah. because we're very focused on, on the needs of both of those uh, customers, if you like, then we're essentially all tied to the same rope, you know, by, by truly understanding tenants' demands and expectations and delivering on those. Those are the things that, that, that underpin the high occupancy level, allow you to let your property for a premium in the market, 
and consequently translate to the strong, stable, consistent returns for investors. So, so yes, generally having an understanding of, of tenants' needs and delivering on those will automatically deliver on, on, on what you're promising to investors as well. And I think a lot of investors who come to us repeatedly, they see that uh, and that gives them a sense of, of reassurance in, in the mob- model that we are perpetuating and, and have successfully delivered over many years. Sure. And you talked about how these build to rent properties are quite literally built and designed from the ground up with that end user in mind and therefore are catered to all of their needs, which are evolving more than ever, especially as a result of COVID-19 and people spending more time than ever in their homes. People now expect more from their homes. Um, In JLL's Home is for Everything 2020 report, they found that the top three tenant priorities are now private working space, access to outdoor space and access to strong broadband which of course are all priorities that are factored in to every sort of build to rent property. So we really are answering tenant demand and therefore delivering strong investments. Okay, so moving on to the second part of that question, let's talk about branding. So when it comes to property investment, some investors may see other build to rent properties that might not have a brand name or well-known brand name at least, but they might have the same facilities, the same aesthetic or amenities as these branded premium properties. So across both the student and residential sectors, what's the value of investing in a branded build-to-rent property? Well, that's a really interesting question, Amber. And and I think, you know, my my mum always used to tell me that you get what you pay for. And (laughs) I, I think... When we talk about brands, it's perhaps only relatively recently that that people have really got comfortable thinking about residential property brands and, and, and being property being something that, that you can attach a brand to. I think certainly people will recognize that that's been the case in the hotel market for a long time. And, and I think what's happening in the residential property sector in many ways couldn't can be seen as analogous to, to what happened with hotels, where, where you now have the sector dominated by a number of brands offer a, a different proposition at, at different price points. And we can choose to, to associate ourselves with individual brands that we think fit our values and our affordability, or, or we can decide to, to use different brands or, or consume different brands at different times, depending on, on what our requirements are. But I think brands are the way that consumers allocate trust these days. And, and, and you look at, uh, you can look at that in, in all different kinds of sectors. It's particularly relevant perhaps with cars. People perhaps feel more comfortable thinking about it in that context. In terms of where paying a premium for a brand is justified because people feel like they know what they're going to get. They feel like there's a, a quality about uh, everything that is attached to the experience of buying that brand, using that brand, maintaining that brand. And even when you come to sell at the end of a period of, of your ownership, the person that you sell to will probably similarly attach values to, to that brand. So I think that's the reason that, that property developers and, and managers and operators like us are very focused on how you establish 
the connection with that brand and, and the attributes that that people come to associate with it. And, and I think we've done that very successfully, for example, with our Affinity Living residential brand already, that there is a sort of a set of values and, and attributes that are recognized in, in the marketplace in Manchester, where we've been letting buildings that, that, that are attracting people and, and making them, them stay. And I think the other thing I would add is, is that it comes back to the point about when you're looking at the market, you know, why would you gravitate towards purpose-built, professionally managed property when, when there may be seemingly more affordable properties available in the same city that, that people might be tempted to think, well, you know, I can get something that's very, very close in terms of the product there, but, but for a lot less money. But, you know, we've all done it, haven't we, where, where you, you know, you, you want to buy something and then you talk yourself out of it and then you buy something that's cheaper and then after a period of time it breaks or it doesn't work yeah. or it's not really fit for purpose and, and you buy the thing you were going to buy in the first place because yeah. <laughs> you realise that, that, you know, that that's why people pay a premium to buy it. And, and I think, in a way, it's, it's no different with residential property than it is with kitchen utensils or, or other yeah. things where where we we make those decisions and and i think what what investors have to understand and realize is that purpose built to rent property is more expensive because precisely because it has the the quality of amenity and service wrapped around it and that takes a, a huge amount of effort and cost to deliver that uh, and and that cost uh, obviously is is part of the returns that you get, but ultimately it's the investment in providing those amenities and service services which which ultimately drive the premium rent. So so when you look back over a period of time of of ownership of an investment, you can see the benefit of buying in something that may have initially been more expensive to buy and, and been more expensive in terms of running costs to maintain. But ultimately, the strength, consistency and continuity of the returns are much better than the one that may have been a bit more affordable where, you know, the costs on face value seemed a bit cheaper. But then over a period of time of ownership, you know, five years, 10 years, you realize that actually you've probably spent more over that period of time because because of hidden costs of things that you didn't expect to pay for, which were built into the the, the build to rent model because, that's that's very much how they've been designed to, to be managed, and and that's also, I guess, why purpose built, professionally managed property is what the institutionals invest in. It's it's why pension funds buy them, right? Because they understand that 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 is the model that will protect those investment returns over the longer period of time, and 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 obviously, institutional funds have greater access to capital to make those higher value quality investments. But also there are lots of developments out there now that make that quality of investment accessible to, to individual retail investors as well. And that's, that, that's, those are the kinds of people that we're selling to. Sure. And just to add to your point about brand trust and the importance of that for investors, that also stands for tenants as well, doesn't it, on that side? Because they then understand what to expect um, in terms of values and attributes, facilities, amenities. And they then are willing to pay that premium in order to to receive that living experience. Yeah, I mean, if anything, even more so. You know, com- consumers are very sophisticated these days. Uh, doesn't matter what they're buying. You know, they, they they make choices about what to buy and where from um, based on on a whole range of factors. 
not just um, what it is, what color it is, what price tag is, but it's 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 about how they feel about the company that they're buying it from, what their whole experience is, what they've heard about that company, uh, and, a, and a whole range of other factors, which ultimately you know all feed into to that uh, level of trust and respect for the brand. Sure, and we've seen that ourselves as well, haven't we, with our Affinity Living brand. We've currently got Riverside in Manchester, and I know that when Riverview opens, we've already got some tenants that want to move across purely because they want, you know, perhaps a higher, um, a higher floor or maybe a bigger apartment that might not be available at the moment within Riverside. But because they know what to expect from the brand and they trust the brand and they want that high quality living experience, they're willing to to stay with us, and that's that's great as a message for retention, both for investors and for us as a company. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is is seeing consumers come back as well. So when people have had an experience that they like, and then maybe their head is turned and they go somewhere else and then they think, oh, actually, I want to go back to 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 where I was before, because, you know, perhaps they, they, some of those feelings that they got from living there or, or, or being a, a consumer of that brand were, were and we've all done that as well, right? You know, we, yeah. we're loyal to a brand for a while and, and, and then we try something else and we think, no, I'll go back to that one. I like it more. Absolutely. So thank you, Giles. That concludes part one of the podcast on our common objections. Hopefully that's helped to expel some of the common myths around UK property investment. If you found this useful, you can listen to part two of the podcast where we'll explore objections five and six. So we'll discuss if now's a risky time to invest before the pandemic is officially over and if exit strategy is a lot of hassle. Don't forget to subscribe on your platform of choice to avoid missing out on an episode. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts.